and welcome to the Performance Podcast for Monday the 27th of March and joining me for this edition, Assistant Editor Steve Withers. Oh and Senator, just one more thing, love your suit. News Editor Mark Hodgkinson. And thrall me with your acumen. Audio Reviewer Ed Selly. You will let me know when those lambs stop screaming, won't you? And special guest star Mark Botwright. Your anagrams are showing. So it's um, not a great week for, for us, Ed. If you're into watching car programmes on the TV and have been for years, there's, there's, there's been quite a, quite a few earthquakes that have shaken up the place a bit, Ed. And uh, I think I think the biggest one is your namesake, uh, Ed China, has left Wheeler Dealers, um, the world's most popular motoring show, seemingly. It would, it would appear so, yes. And uh, also, uh, he went to the same school as me. Was 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 head boy, although he left very fractionally before I started. So uh, there's no, it's a bit a bit six degrees of separation there. But yes, um, there is a YouTube video explaining his reasons for doing so. But yes, he will no longer be the man with the orange gloves uh, putting sheds back together on uh, on wheeler dealers. I've got to say, I do admire the, the guy for standing up for his convictions and and um, his integrity. Um, yeah, why did why did he leave? Just out of curiosity. Because they wanted to dumb it down, and like like anything, Steve. I mean, we run it, we run into this all the time uh, in terms of getting the balance right between what your established audience want and being um, uh, what's the word inclusive enough to bring in new users and new audience. And the program was taken over by a new production company two years ago, and they, they really have changed it. They've changed the whole format. I did not like the, old, the the new format, which was on the the last series. It was very Americanized and was dumbed down to to quite some degree. And Ed didn't do a lot of what he did in in the normal series. It was how it was do mixed you up, dumb so. down Wheeler Dealers? Because <laughs> because it is quite technical when it gets into changing you know control arms on suspension and all that kind of thing you have to have a little bit of interest in the mechanics of a car because the majority of the program is about the mechanics of of a car and how to improve it and how to you know fix design problems that were there in older models what, and what, is, what is the premise of the show actually, the, the, the premise of the show is that they go and buy what they think are, are going to be classic cars or are classic cars that have been left to rot or, or been left by their owners in a bad condition and they basically bring it into their garage. Um, Ed fixes it all up and does it to a high degree. A lot of it you don't see on camera because it, it just, it would feel a bit, you know. <laughs> it's just really boring. <laughs> 15, no, fill about 15 episodes. It's boring to you, Steve, because you're not into it, but I bet, you know, 99% of your mates, i.e. both of them, um, kind of stand getting into the technical details that you get into in your reviews you know it's, there's an audience for for each and everything the problem is actually they do but that's why i've only got two friends but the problem <laughs> is you know they have tried to dumb it down and and he stood by his convictions and and good for him because it takes a takes a lot of balls to do that it's it's easy to accept the money and go with it rather than standing up for your convictions and, and your integrity and saying well no actually I think this makes the program. If you change it, you're going to spoil it. So that's the way we're going. I'm going to I'm going to walk, which is basically what he's done, isn't it, Ed? Yes, that's basically it. Uh, the rumours seem to be, um, obviously, this is only Twitter and it's unsubstantiated, that the filming section that broke the camel's back, uh, one of the earlier episodes of the once they'd gone to America, it was a Datsun 240Z, and the big sort of thing that they did to this car was change it from an automatic to a manual and 
it would appear that there was some sort of breakdown of communication because Velocity's standard methodology of doing this would be to just swap the car in the middle of filming rather than actually change it. Um, which <laughs> is that, rather that's defeats the point of disingenuous. the <laughs> Well, that's, that's, that's a bit like a review magazine or site, um, not taking the product out of the box. Yeah, so that, and, and they just simply couldn't get their head around the fact that, obviously, in order to film the thing, you'd be talk, you're talking about setting up to film a 30-second a clip, but each one of those setups is going to happen sort of four hours apart as the actual process sort of goes on and you, you i suppose you've got to view this from from the perspective of making a television program it's it's going to seem incredibly frustrating but as phil says it was kind of the whole point of the of the program so yeah i i, I do entirely get it um i, I and, guess i guess sometimes you reach saturation point ed don't you and you get up, you get to the point where you're going to have the the only audience that you're ever going to have, and and fair dues they had a big audience, you know they they started on um I'm, I I can't remember the name of the actual channel Is now it Men and Motors it might have been Men and Motors but it started seems appropriate <laughs> it started about fourteen years ago and it has grown and grown and grown but I think it's now at saturation point where I think you know it's 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 reached the point that it can reach in terms of audience um mm. and and I think they're pushing it. To try and build that audience, and of course, what what happens there is that you push it too far, alienate the audience that you already have, and you should never ever do that. You should never alienate the audience that stuck by you for the fourteen or fifteen years that you've been gone, just so you want to try and bring some new uh, new audience in. Um, and the other big change, uh, the other program, quickly, uh, fast and loud. Uh, another one which I watch on a religious basis, uh, based in Dallas. Again, it's um, it's kind of the same as with the dealers, but turned up to 11. But they're American old cars, so you're talking muscle cars and Mopar and all that kind of thing. Really, again, quite interesting. You get to see the build, you get to see them putting the stuff together. And the mastermind behind that program is, again, the master mechanic who this week has walked out. Although he walked out a couple of months ago because <laughs> it was shown in the US a long time ago. But that like some Castro dying a long time ago, <laughs> but we didn't mention it for a bit. There's, well, um... no, there's, there's obviously the gap between it happening in the US and then us seeing it in the UK being broadcast. But, you know, he's he's walked as well. I, I think that is more a case of um, the channel and the network where they, they have a habit of um, trying to do spin-off shows. So my understanding is that this is going to be a spin-off show. But you know who owns Fast and Loud now, don't you? Or rather, who produces it? <laughs> I, hope it's Vin, I hope it's Vin Diesel. No, it's, no it's, it's, it, it's Velocity, same as the people who are currently burrowing up wheeler dealers. <laughs> um, so it's not, not a good look. Although that said, if they do combine Ed China and Aaron, Aaron Kaufman, I mean, you could set them on you know minor restoration projects like raising the Titanic and stuff <laughs> like that. Oh, you know, and... I don't know. In many regards, that would be a, a fascinating thing because, as best I can work out, Aaron Kaufman is about five foot six, and obviously Ed China is is a good foot taller. There, there's just some good sort of visual comedy to be had there as well. So, yeah, totally. Um, you know, but um, Ed uh, yeah. China have a catchphrase. Uh, no, that's Mike Brewer. Hold out Mike your hand. Brewer. Hold out your hand. Yeah, the Cockney guy that does nothing. So yeah, go on. Hang on. So there's there's Ed China who does the restoration. Steve, Steve, you go and watch the show, right? Because. I'm not going to explain it because people who understand it understand it. People who don't understand it want us to get on with things, and I'm going to get on with things. So, um, so that's the two big disasters that have happened. Um, 
I suppose you could say the the other disaster is Ant Anstel, who they've brought to come in uh, and fill in Ed China's role. If anybody doesn't know him, he was the guy that worked with um, Philip Glenister um, on For the Love of Cars. So, uh, and he's also appeared as a BBC presenter on a few things, and he's a smug get, and I don't like. Well, him. you see, this is the thing: Phil hates the vast majority of the human race. So it's, <laughs> I, I think it's no, I don't. Ed, yes, you do. You hate most people. You, your default position is to hate someone until such time as you don't. That that's mm, basically you just tolerate us, and then you then and then then you can move to to tolerance. Uh, over, well, well, you know, if I'm years. if I'm being nasty to you and I'm calling you names, then I, I really do like you. Well, th- this is the thing. But nonetheless, well, Ant, you must I, be in love with me. <laughs> Phil and I disagree somewhat. I quite like Ant Anstead, and the actual quality of work in terms of actual mechanical work that he's capable of is exceptionally high. I do agree that if he's agreed to sign on to Wheel of Dealers after these changes have been purported, um, then you know that's not ideal. In an absolute sense of what he's capable of, I don't regard him as in any way. To, I mean, whilst I, he wouldn't be my first choice to motorise a sofa, I mean, that's Ed China's, you know, forte. He's built some of the fastest furniture in the world. Um, but he is nonetheless capable of some exceptional work. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, I, I quite like the guy. Are you uh, still what, enjoying um, Top Gear, Phil? Let's leave that till later in the show. We'll we'll do that in the movie and TV section because um, there's quite a bit to talk about there, I think, and uh, we really need to be getting on with the podcast. And Mr. Botwright is going to tell us exactly what we can win in the current competitions. Okay, we've got the 4K Ultra HD Premier Collection. That includes Deep Breath, uh, The Revenant, Kingsman, The Secret Service, Life of Pi, The Maze Runner, Independence Day, and Exodus Gods and Kings. Uh, competition runs until 17th of April and is open as ever to all eligible members resident in the UK, Ireland and Isle of Man. Any previous winners? Uh, yes. Uh, Quarry Season 1 on Blu-ray was won by The Light. Don't look into The Light. Many people have seen him, apparently. Okay, so that's our current competitions. And your thoughts on Ed China leaving Wheeler Dealers, Mark? Um, uh, yes. Yes. Here's <laughs> it, it, definitely... I did read... I. I I looked just to see whether this, this was a, a big deal, and, and one of the first links came up uh, online was a place called something like Sniffed Petrol. Yeah. Which, Sniffed did you read that article? Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, it's um... absolute class. I, w- there's a there's a car reviewer on that that web page called Ron Lanchester. That's Roy Lanchester. Roy Lanchester. That, that yeah. needs needs a film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, if, I have seen those because Ed sent me some links. Yeah, if if you want a laugh. Um, uh, go and read those and I think it has more impact when you've actually been on press launches and press trips and that kind of thing <laughs> because the way he writes about going on these press trips and stuff is just absolutely hilarious I have been in tears reading his reviews um, really really good, really funny right let's move on, hardware news uh, Samsung have officially launched their TV and AV lineup for the UK Steve you went along on Tuesday did the bore you to death for 8 hours? was it like that scene in Clockwork Orange where your eyes were held open and you <laughs> <laughs> and you were forced material no yeah it wasn't a, it wasn't an eight hour session i mean a lot of it to be honest was uh kind of rehashing stuff we'd already gone through because they did some demos of color volume at uh ifa using prototype early prototypes of these tvs and obviously we also had a backroom demo at ces when the tvs first got announced um back in january so i actually kind of knew what to expect and the emphasis is very much on color volume as you might expect because color volume 
and let's just quickly describe what color volume is. If you think about, um, we talk about, often about color gamuts, which is the colors that a TV can display. And we also talk about the brightness of the television. In other words, the dynamic range between black and peak white. Um, with HDR particularly, you've moved from uh, a peak brightness of about 100 nits to peak brightnesses are now reaching 4,000 nits currently um, on mastered material. So that's a much wider dynamic range. And the color volume is the combination of the two. So you have the, the, the color gamut plus the, the dynamic range of, in terms of luminance, brightness, and that creates this three-dimensional space that's the which, color volume. And obviously... Which has always oh, been there, Steve. Yeah. Um, but in terms of showing it graphically, um, it's very, very difficult, which is why within our reviews and, and other reviews out there who do it properly and who do measurements, um, you always see the 2D graph um, because it's it's been, until this point, really, really difficult to show the lumen inside of things. But we always measure that and we always look for errors in that and you get delta E errors and all the rest of it. Uh, for the three axes, it's just that in the graphs, it's been very difficult to show the color volume. Yeah, we show a two-dimensional graph in the third dimension, which would be the luminance aspect, isn't it, Germany? Because as you say, for representing that, graphically isn't always that obvious. And also, up until now, of course, when you're looking at uh, with standard dynamic range content, you're talking about 100, 120 nits, which is what the limit would have been on a CRT TV. And, and obviously, modern displays can reach that quite easily. So they've all been capable of delivering the full... SDR color volume, which would be 100, 120 nits and Rec 709. Of course, we're now moving into a new world where we have a color space based on Rec 2020, which is a massive compared to Rec 709. And obviously, we're talking about peak brightnesses that have gone from 100, 120 to 1,000 to 4,000. And obviously, at some point, we're talking about 10,000 nits within the, within the spec. So if you think about a 10,000 nit Rec 2020 color volume, as a three-dimensional space. And now, if you can imagine a, a square on a piece of paper and then compare that to a cube, you understand how three dimensions add so much more in terms of size. So imagine how big a Rec 2020 10,000 nit color volume is. It's massive. Um, obviously, no, no current display can get anywhere near that. What we're looking at at the moment is, in terms of professional monitors, uh, the Dolby Pulsar can deliver 4,000 nits and close to Rec 2020. Um, content is mastered using the DCI-3 DCI P3 color space, which is what's used at the cinema, um, and that's what most that's what all content, film content at least, is going to be mastered in, uh, and up to a four, I say four thousand nits, which is the limit of the uh, current technology in terms of professional monitors. Uh, the delivery system for the home is Rec twenty twenty, but within that they'll have that DCI P3 color space, which is what we measure for and test for in our reviews. So. That's the color volume, and obviously, uh, what we're going to be going into, I think, this year is is uh, um, an arms race in terms of who can deliver the largest color volume. And clearly, uh, uh, Samsung have sort of fired the, fir the first salvo in this arms race because uh, they got TVs that can deliver 100% DCI P3, uh, which is great because that means you get the full well, color space of the well, content. Hang on, they claim that we haven't they, actually yeah, they measured it. Well, yet. They we're pretty close last year, so I'm guessing that they they've expanded it slightly. I mean, they were within the 97, 98, 99 percent range. Um, with their models last year. So, I mean, to be fair, a lot of TVs are delivering very close to 100% already, so it's not exactly massive news. Uh, and, they're, and they're talking about um, peak brightnesses of 1,500 nits or more. I mean, I think they were being saying 1,500 nits in an accurate sense, but they could probably push it to nearer 2,000, but that would be in a wildly inaccurate vivid mode. Um, again, there have been TVs already that have delivered peak brightnesses in excess of that, with the ZD9 from Sony, for example. But they're saying, and and they're being, uh, they're saying 
uh, or we can deliver 100% of, uh, of the color volume. Now, that's 100% of the color volume, depending on how you define it. Uh, so they're saying their color volume is defined by 1,500 nits of peak brightness and DCI P3 color space, which is one way of defining it. Um, other people would say, well, you should define it using Rec 2020 and 4,000 or 10,000 nits because that's the actual limitations of the of the specifications. But since no content actually hits that, you could say it's DCI P3 and 4,000 nits. I mean, there's lots of different ways of, us, of of measuring. And that's one of the problems we've got at the moment is because there's different ways of measuring and defining a color volume. Um, and obviously all the manufacturers want to use numbers that look good in their advertising rather than being actually representative. And it makes it difficult to compare one with the other. So when we get around to reviewing the new TVs this year, we will be measuring color volumes in, in two different ways uh, in order to try and establish some sort of be bench level performance that's not just relative to a TV's performance, but absolute in terms of the standards and specifications as they are defined. Um, but that we'll come back to that later. I think that's probably something we can discuss in detail in another podcast. As far as the new range goes, it's um, what we saw at CES. So we've got the, the Q, um, Q9F, which is a flat screen flagship uh, QLED TV. Uh, that uses edge LED lighting and has 32 dim dimming zones on it, bro broken into uh, horizontal lines and then uh, two vertical blocks, which um, Samsung's claim will be uh, will deliver much more accurate uh, local dimming on an edge lit TV than they were doing last year. And to be fair, last year's 9000, for example, actually had really good local dimming on it. But I think they're looking at it from the perspective of uh, trying to minimize haloing on HDR content particularly. Um, so that's the flagship model. Then there's the Q8C, which is curved. So if they've got an F suffix or a C suffix, that means flat or curved. So eight Q, eight, uh, Q8C, so that's a curved TV, and that's the mid-range model. And then there's the entry-level model for the Q, QLED range, which is the Q7F and the Q7C. So you've got the choice of curved or flat there. be interesting to see how the numbers, sales numbers measure out, because there is a slight uh, price premium for uh, curved over flat. Um, so we just see how that, that that plays out. In terms of the TVs themselves, as I say, uh, they're using this Q branding, so it's QLED. They've got Q Q picture, so things like the quantum dot technology they're using to increase the uh, size of the color gamut and to increase the brightness levels. They've also got their Q design, so they're using uh, an all-metal construction. And they are nice, attractive-looking TVs with a, uh, a very cool-looking stand. Also, you can buy optional other stands for the TV um, if you want. And there, they use their... Um... Uh, there was a few issues last year, though, Steve, wasn't there, with the uh, with the curved panels, where the back was starting to come away. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why they've they've upped the build quality here, because as you say, Phil, there were some production sample issues, but we certainly had issues. You've got an example of that in your lounge, I think. Yeah, yeah. Though I mean, the one here, you know, the back's coming away from it. I mean, it's it's nothing major. It's just that if you were spending that type of money, which I think the the ninety five hundred was what nearly four grand. Yeah. Um, you'd be upset. Uh, haven't spent that much money and seen seen it coming away, starting to come away at the back there. Um, so hopefully they've sorted that because that's the only fault I could really find with that TV. Yeah, they, they, it looks like you know, they, they're going for a slightly more premium, I mean, obviously this is their premium range and they're going for a more premium design. So like I say, all metal construction, metal backplate, which hopefully will address issues like things coming apart. Um, metal stand, there's uh, the one connect box, of course, uh, as before, but this now uses a fiber optic cable to connect to the TV, which is almost invisible unless you get up close to it. So that makes it much tidier in terms of, um, uh, of wall mounting, for example. You can wall mount yeah. as a... As a... <laughs> yeah, that's great. But, but the power cord... Yeah. There's <laughs> not much they can do about it. They just kind of have to have some sort of power cord. 
I know, but you know, you go to the, the extent of doing this really nice fibre optic cable to go from the box to the TV, but you still got to put a power cable up there. I suppose you could, um, you could, if you're wall mounting, for example, you could have the power socket behind the TV and therefore hide that quite easily, couldn't you? And then just have this one cable going to wherever you keep your equipment. But uh, they have a, a recessed uh, hole basically in the back of the chassis, which is where you would attach the wall mount so you can wall mount this flush against the wall i guess this is a you know what they call nano gap wall bracket uh basically you can mount it flush against the wall um it's got uh what else has it got uh, it's got q smart so it's got the latest iteration of their tyson powered smart platform which I, I quite like it's got a what they've done is they basically put everything into one uh one hub now with a with a launcher bar on the bottom You've got recommendations and all your access to all, everything is through this one launcher bar so it's, it's a very tidy uh centralized uh, platform responsive um quite easy to navigate the remote controls had a bit of a makeover too again all metal construction now to match with the tvs um they've made some tiny some changes in terms of the ergonomics of the remote um and i, I gotta say i found the platform playing around with it i found it to be uh to be you know very effective so that that's one aspect i think they've always had a pretty good uh, smart platform on, on samsung tvs and very uh, comprehensive in terms of the apps available and um i went through the menu system as well a couple of changes there um one interesting thing is there's now a 20 point white balance control rather than just a 10 point um which i was like oh uh-huh. god <laughs> <laughs> oh god um it's time consuming rather than not, it's not actually a bad thing but it's just time consuming <laughs> the, the, the thing is though steve you know if it, it the truth be told if you're working on a panel and you're getting delta ease under two even 1.5 on the two point there's no need for you to go into the 20 point not really <laughs> you want nice graphs there don't you and other than get like yeah graphs. if you want to have a look at a really nice graph but we all know that the graph and, and what you're actually seeing sometimes can be completely <laughs> completely opposite uh, otherwise, it's uh, obviously it supports HDR10 and HLG, um, no 3D of course, and no Dolby Vision. Um, however, uh, we do, we're getting some demos of dynamic metadata. Um, the TVs will support that. Uh, whether that, I mean, that that they can certainly support Samsung's version, which Samsung calls um, they call it Samsung Dynamic Tone Mapping, and it will support that. And I believe there will be. Uh, um, I don't want to go into too much detail because some of it's embargoed, uh, uh, but there will be there will be um, studios, providers that will support um, support support this uh, dynamic metadata going forward. So um, there'll, be, there'll be some news there in terms of that aspect. Okay, cool. Um, so we should be getting our review, first review samples in shortly. There is uh, stuff on the homepage if you want to go and read more about these TVs and the AV lineup, which we haven't touched on at all, but there, there will be a article up on the homepage so you can go and read all about uh, Samsung's upcoming AV lineup and their TVs. Uh, moving things on, Mr. Porright, have you uh, managed to get yourself a Nintendo yet? No, no, I, I've, I've shelved it. I'm, I'm perfectly happy. I've got... Um... Legend of Zelda, Breath of the Wild on the Wii U, and that's that's tidying me over well. Thank you very much. Okay, we'll check in next week and see where things are then. Ed, uh, you've been group testing some earphones. Yes, um, this is uh, a two a two stage thing because uh, first, um, this is uh, if you like a proof of concept as to whether you as listeners readers so on and so forth think it's a viable and uh, valid method of comparing some different categories of products it doesn't have to be earphones um and also because i found myself in a position where i had three pretty much identically priced 
uh, pairs of earphones sat in one place at one time that um, although they were very similar in price, they do the same thing. Obviously, you stick them in their ears and they make music. They had almost nothing in common with one another in terms of how they went about that. So I thought it would be interesting to see what would happen if you actually level match them, which um, I don't want to give away a trade secret here, but I'll promise you this. Level matching earphones is bastard hard. <laughs> um, and yeah, essentially, it's it's um, a, a test, you know, seeing which of these is, you know, the sort of best all-round product, taking into account, you know, home listening, listening with different pieces of connected equipment, listening to both high-quality material and more compressed and, and, and video on demand, and just seeing which one comes out across all of those things as, as the best all-rounder. If you think that it's something that you'd like to see a bit more of, do let us know in the comments. Um, if you say, oh, I'd like you to do three home cinema speaker packages, unless you also then offer to buy me a larger house, that's not going to happen. There has to be a degree of common sense about the size of the products involved. But if you think it's worthwhile, you like the construct of it, let us know or let me know and we'll see if we can see if we can work something out and, and, and do a couple more of them you know that's the uh, it's, it's always about pushing it's not not retreating into my comfort zone it's about trying to, to push on and see if we can do a couple more things um i mean i say not retreating into my comfort zone i've, been, I've got a record player in the in the works again this month so i'm i'm, I'm a happy happy camper but, but you have but you have pushed yourself ahead because you went and made a video about this record player i did because, yes because you didn't know how to set it up because <laughs> i made a complete horlix um yes i asked for it to turn up in a partially knocked down state to save time and then i took it out of the box and realized that i had well i could have probably turned it into something that looked right but it, it simply wouldn't have been correct so i was incredibly privileged to have it put together by uh, a man called peter swain who is regarded by quite a few people as the best in the world at putting these record players together and i thought that was probably quite video worthy so i've sent phil um a uh, a couple of um a couple of clips he came back and said that they're not completely crap so the moment i've got the house to myself to actually record a voiceover without fireman sam in the background um, I will do that, wing that on its way to him, and we'll see if we can put something together for your edification and education. Good stuff. It's always good stuff, Ed. Uh, right, okay, so um, let's move things on swiftly. As we are, we are really bang on message at the moment, and I'm going to try and keep it going that way before we suddenly go off on a tangent like we normally do. Um, Mark, have you bought a Nintendo Switch yet? What, <laughs> what since last time you asked me? <laughs> yeah, just checking. Oh, just, I, I, I'm managing to hold firm on this. Thank you very much. The, the finger's not hovering over the buy button. No, no. Actually, funnily enough, uh, I'm, I'm kind of. Uh, it's proven a bit more of an expensive couple of months with regards Blu-rays, but I'm sure we'll get onto that a bit later. You what? Yes, indeed, Blu-rays. Remember them? Yeah. Okay. We'll come back to that later. Uh, but Re retro formats for the win. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but let's st stick with some gaming because finding the best TV for gaming, Mark, is uh, is a bit of an issue. So tell us all about it. Which one? <laughs> I knew that was going to confuse you. Let's go to Steve, who actually wrote the article and knows what he's talking about. Um, <laughs> I've not read it yet. Uh, right, so best gaming TV or best TV for gaming, however or whichever way you want to look at it, um, it's all about the input lag, Steve. Yeah, I mean, obviously there are other factors you can consider as well, but 
in every review that we do of a TV, we always test the input lag. We use uh, the Leo Bodner tester, which you connect directly into the TV. Uh, it sends a signal to the TV. You hold it against the screen, and it measures the lag between the signal being sent and it being received by the receiver on the on the unit. Um, this year, we'll be adding. We started to do it towards the end of last year, but this year we shall also be testing not only SDR input lag but also HDR input lag by using a HD Fury Integral to inject the HDR metadata into the signal in order to get the TV to go into HDR mode to test how fast the lag is in that. Um, now, that's how we test for it, and we do it on every TV that we review. And pretty much these days, every TV will have some sort of some form of game mode. And what that basically means is it's a mode where they bypass all the unnecessary processing in order to keep the lag as low as possible. And Unless the reason you buy a you cheap to... brand TV that, 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 that don't do anything. It's just the same as all the other ones. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, so the TVs that we've reviewed generally have a, an effective game mode. Uh, you'll yeah. quite often see there'll be a significant difference between not having the game mode on and having the game mode on. Some TVs, there's not a massive difference. They've got a pretty low lag anyway. Some, there's a very big lag without the game mode on. So it varies from manufacturer to manufacturer, but they most of them have a game mode. And the idea is you select that when you're gaming, gets the input lag down as low as possible. Uh, and that reduces the amount of lag time. Now, obviously, when you're gaming, there are lots of factors that can int introduce lag, not just the display, but the controller to the console, internet lag, human response time lags, lots of different things can cause lags. But, you know, if you can eliminate as many as possible, that obviously improves um, your gaming experience, particularly on things like first-person shooters. So, um, like I say, we, we test them all. And in terms of last year's models that we tested, without doubt, hands down, the winner in terms of Input lag, and also I would say generally as, as a gaming TV, uh, for me personally, I don't know about you, Mark, but I, I thought without doubt Samsung TVs made the best gaming uh, TVs for last year. They had an input lag across all the TVs that we reviewed, and certainly across the KS range, 21 milliseconds, which is really, really low. I mean, that was a quantum leap in terms of lag times compared to the previous years on all manufacturers, including Samsung. Uh, 21 milliseconds, really low. Uh, no one else got close to that last year in the st stuff that I tested. Um, and I think they would probably be my winner in terms of overall performance with gaming. Would you agree, Mark? Yeah, I think I, think I was probably about right. What, what were Sony's, though? Weren't they quite low last year? They, the they, they were in the 30s. Were they in the 30s? I thought they might be in the 20s. Yeah, I enjoyed the Sony uh, XT93, was it? Um, yeah, that was nice. But Sony and Samsung were my favourite. Sony used to be well, pretty much synonymous with low input lag, and then it seemed to kind of just slip from them slightly. I think around kind of 2015 time. And all of a sudden, you know, it started creeping up again. So Samsung almost like they've, they've taken that crown. I, I know the, the KS8000 is pretty much kind of regarded as bang for buck, the best gaming TV out there right now, if you, if you want to grab something. Yeah, I mean, I think we'll see some improvements this year. And I know from having experienced and tested some of the new LG OLEDs, they've got the input lag down to about 21 milliseconds as well. When I saw Samsung earlier this week, they were talking about getting their lag times down to below 20 seconds, 20 milliseconds. So we're at about 19 milliseconds, which, you know, we're splitting hairs at this point. But it's good to see that uh, those manufacturers are doing that. Hopefully it will, it will push on to the other ones. Sony, um, I, I, I think uh, the... No, sorry, the 9005 no. was uh, 32 milliseconds. That was HDR. Yeah, yeah HDR. the XC90, yeah, 32 milliseconds. And that's that's pretty low. I mean, that, that's that's pretty good. I mean, there was an argument to be said, is anyone going to notice between 30 milliseconds and 20 milliseconds? I would say no. <laughs> but, well, you, you, uh, you're not going to, I don't think, because there's not even a frame yeah. has passed by at that point. No, no. So that's, that's impressive. And, 
you know, it's interesting looking back through the numbers because obviously I went back through the reviews to sort of create a database of, of input lags to see which ones were performing the best. And one of the manufacturers surprised me because they were relatively nuclear on the block, but delivered some pretty low input lags was Hisense. Um, you know, who, who I think last year really stepped up to the plate in terms of not just input lag, but overall performance, build quality of their TVs and obviously price. So I think they, they really delivered. Uh, Sony, as you mentioned, uh, Mark, have always had a good uh, reputation that aspect. LG, pretty good too. Um, Philips have done some very good low numbers. The one manufacturer that came out the worst in terms of overall performance and input lags um, outside of their DX902 flagship TV, which was giving about 35 milliseconds, was um, Panasonic who, in going back to some of the reviews, a lot of them were done by you, Mark, actually, rather than me, but Panasonic were delivering some surprisingly high um, input lag numbers with sort of 50, 55 milliseconds, which would, would be above what I would consider the threshold of 40. I think it's interesting, really, forty. Panasonic plasmas used to be the go-to, other than, obviously, the, the threat of image retention, it used to be the go-to for gamers, and then they were they were measuring around 32 milliseconds. So I think it's just as, as time has gone by and we've been able to measure it, people kind of become aware of it of the numbers and don't don't forget that the 902 um was actually really quite high until it had a firmware fix as well steve yeah yeah it was um like i say 35 milliseconds after the firmware fix but that was the best performing of all their tvs last year in terms of input lag um so i'd be interested to see if they can improve on that this year i mean i think any manufacturer should be trying to get it below 40 Uh, like i say there's a lot of debate about how much you're going to notice, uh, but there will be hardened gamers, you know, particularly people that play first-person shooters who will say, like, you know, I can tell the difference if it's between 50 and 30 milliseconds. So, fair enough. Um, I don't think I could. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, that will be interesting to see whether um, Panasonic can get their input lags down. It's funny you should mention image retention, Mark, because um, obviously that is an aspect you need to bear in mind with OLED TVs. There are a lot of features in those TVs to mitigate image retention and screen burn, but I have noticed particularly with HDR and HDR test patterns, for example, that you do get image retention on these TVs if you leave a static image up for a long time. Obviously, in, in gaming particularly, in certain games, you're going to have heads-up displays that are there the whole time you're gaming. And if you're gaming for long periods of time, you like to see some, particularly if you're gaming in HDR as well, you like to see some image retention. I mean, it will go away, but bear that in mind. Um, you know, if, if you're worried about image retention or things like that, then obviously LCD panels are preferable from that perspective. And that's one other reason yeah. why you might... If you're the type of person um, or type of gamer who likes really bright inaccurate images stay away from OLED basically is the best uh, best advice we could give if you like accurate images uh, with the TVs not overly bright that it hurts your eyes then uh, you should be fine with an OLED if you if you game for a couple hours here and there but if you're one of these people who like garish colors and real brightness and all the rest it OLED's not for you not for gaming so that that that's uh, that was my discoveries in terms of uh, input lags it will be interesting to see how things pan out this year. Obviously, you know, there's a new, it's a new, a new world with SDR and HDR gaming. We'll, we'll test for both, um, and uh, we'll see how it plays out. But uh, there's been a, a clearly a, a downward trend in terms of input lag over the last few years, and, and I'm pretty sure we're going to. Uh, they're not going. They're reaching a point now where getting below 19 milliseconds is going to be t- tough. I think you know there's going to be a tiny bit of lag because there's going to be some image processing going on inside that image even in game mode so yeah. you're never gonna, getting much lower than that you're never yeah you're never going to notice that it's uh like like we say i mean 40 milliseconds is the cutoff point um anything below 40 milliseconds i think you, you you're you're hard pushed to there's other things in the chain which are going to get in the way other than that and while you're using sample and hold, which they both do, don't they? LED, LED and um, OLED, you're not going to get below 60 milliseconds anyway. So yep. that's impossible. So let's move things on. Let's got movie news next. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so uh, let's move on to movie news. Still minus twelve. Haven't haven't had a chance to go to the cinema, but I'm going to try and go this this week. Uh, obviously, we're recording this on Friday. It'll go out on Monday because um, there's chips and life. Um, so at least there's two films I could go and see because I looked earlier in in the week and it was all Beauty and the Beast, Steve. That taken over. The calculation over. though isn't that simple for you anymore, is it? You're minus twelve in cinema, but plus whatever liters of 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 95 octane unleaded to actually go to and from the cinema i just block that one out of my head <laughs> it, it's a it's a bit like it's a bit like the wheeler dealer uh, mathematics uh, where you just don't you don't include any of the time that ed spends <laughs> putting the cars together you know none of that is 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 accounted for whatsoever and if you did account for it they would have lost thousands of pounds every week on it. Yes. So it's the same kind of math said. So I'm minus twelve, right, but, I, but actually, you know, it's, you know. You're, you're right, <laughs> Phil. It is all Beauty and the Beast. Annoyingly so, because my local cinema, which I'm coming to conclusion is utter shit, isn't even showing Life or Chips this weekend. It's like really oh, great, great, yeah, brilliant. Oh, that's Thanks unbelievable, bunch, guys. That. I mean, it's two major Life. I mean, it's a major release. This how is that not getting a screening? So I, I was a bit annoyed about that. But I did see Beauty and the Beast last week. Oh, poor you. I mean, I'm Which... I'm staying well away from it. I might I might watch it on a streaming service when it eventually arrives. Uh, well, I'd say I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, it's absolutely sumptuous to look at. Uh, the majority of the cast are excellent, very well cast film. Emma Thompson's Mrs. Potts, Ian McKellen as um, as Cogsworth, uh, Ewan McGregor doing a very hello hello French accent as Lumiere. Um, Luke Evans is fantastic as. Uh, as as Gaston, my wife was very disappointed to discover that Luke Evans is gay, which I didn't realise either until she looked him up because um, she thought he was well fit. Yeah, um, well, you've got more luck than she has then. <laughs> yeah, that's what I said to her. I don't know chance than you have. Um, um, also, Josh Gad, playing an extremely camp character in the film, but actually straight in real life, um, is very good. Um, the only weak link for me is Emma Watson. God knows why they cast her. I know she's been getting lots of positive reviews for some reason, but I thought she's awful. She's char- no charisma, not a very good actress, not that good looking, in all fairness, and a very weak singing voice. Um, I thought they could have done better than Emma Watson, but aside from that, the guy playing the Beast also, sorry, is very good as well, um, as is the makeup effects. And the effects generally are superb. The the thing with Emma, Emma Watson, Stephen, I think the, the only reason she's been cast is the fact that she, you know, she was in a long line of Harry Potter films, and that is the demographic that they are going for. Um, yeah, there were an awful lot of um, little girls in like beauty costumes and stuff like that at the screening I was at because I went to a fairly early screening, uh, and it was a lot of kids. I've got to say though, the kids were absolutely quite throughout the entire film. Not didn't hear a peep out of them. So they were clearly digging it because they were very, scared very scared about the man. They were, they were the terrified. They were terrified of the creepy, the creepy <laughs> sex offender. In the show. <laughs> I wasn't on my own. It wasn't as bad as when it went to go and see a fault with a fault in their stars when it was me and four hundred crying teenage girls. That was very uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> They're crying because you were there. <laughs> no, they were crying because it's a sad movie at the end, and the I got me. I was all weeping Steve a Steve exposed himself. It all went south very quickly. Anyway, back to Beauty and the Beast. Do you have one of those big tubs of popcorn? <laughs> <laughs> like a diner. <laughs> it stays uh, very, I mean, it's, you know, it's basically a live action version of the cartoon. I mean, it's, it's basically, although interestingly, Phil, you know, you, you mentioned the Honest Trailer last week. They do address certain plot points that they raised the Honest Trailers in this film, as in why don't anyone remember the Beast and why doesn't anyone remember the Prince and, you know, all this sort of stuff. That is actually addressed. And there are some additional songs. Um, they're written especially for the film. 
to expand out the story in certain aspects. All the things you remember in there. Interestingly, the one song wasn't in the original version of the film, but it is in the special edition version of, of the animated film called Human Again. That song isn't in this, uh, this, uh, this, this film version. I don't know of any of the songs that were ported across from the stage musical because there was also that as well, but I've never seen it. But I've got to say, overall, I thoroughly enjoyed the film. I'd definitely give it a who, solid 8 who was the Who was the composer? Is it Alan Menken, is it? And, yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. Uh, Steve, does this does the live-action film um, sort of deal with one of the issues that the more I think about it, the more it disturbs me about the cartoon? Um, that uh, Now, there are spoilers for the cartoon involved in this, and if it involves spoilers for the film, then just cut it. But... Um, the beast has to in the cartoon has to find love before his twenty is it twenty first birthday? No, that's not right. In the cartoon, it's before the last petal falls off the rose. Yeah, but he has a certain amount of time, and it's to do with his birthday, which would infer that the magic woman turned him into a beast when he was about eleven years old. Oh, yes, he is. He is. Um, you're right. In the cartoon, the in, in, it's indica- it suggests that he was quite young when that happened to him. Um, in the animated film, you see uh, the prince, and he is an adult. Uh, so it's not an age-related thing. It's, it's to do with the petals falling from the road. So I think they've, they've sidestepped that particular issue as well. Yeah, because they were otherwise, it's like, yeah, brutally punished children for their insubordination. But isn't that the basis <laughs> of all fairy tales? <laughs> aren't, they, aren't they really, really horrible to kids in fairy tales? That's one of the reasons why I like them. Yeah, yeah that, <laughs> they that, are, that, that is a true. degree of twattery. You, you mentioned uh, the... the the honest trailer and uh, screen junkies this week have done a thing with um a behavioral scientist uh in- interviewing it's really really entertaining because they go through the whole disney f- lineup uh, and talk about things like stockholm syndrome and um you know what are these films actually saying to youngsters and it's really really quite quite amusing um so I'd highly recommend you go and watch that. It's uh, Screen Junkies, and it's an interview they've done this week. And it's a follow-up to their Beauty and the Beast Honest trailer, where it was only mentioned in one line about Stockholm Syndrome, but that's the thing that everybody's picked up on in the comments and, and obviously picked up on last week on our podcast as well, is is that fact. And it's really quite entertaining talking to this uh, the therapist about you know the types of effects that it, that, that these stories and and you know um, things that happen within them, the kind of the effects that they have on on kids and their perceptions of the stories and that kind of thing. Yeah, I think I mean if you actually took some of the Hans Christian Andersen you know, and the Grimm's fairy tales and actually made them into films as they were originally written, it would traumatise most kids. I should imagine they're pretty uh, they're pretty no pun intended grim in, in many respects. But anyway, anyway, it's a it's a fun movie. I, I, what I found really interesting was the uh, the Ferrari that surrounded its release in certain countries, and I'm mentioning Russia and Malaysia here, uh, about the gay aspects, which um, I have to say are minimal. I mean, there's a character who's a bit camp, uh, and he was pretty camp in the original cartoon, I think. Um, and there was one scene right at the very end where you know he's dancing with another guy. And it's like, well, if that's what they're getting worked up about, they really need to sort themselves out because that's ridiculous. I mean, it's, it's a bloody musical, for God's sake. You can't get much more gay than that. So um, anyway, I loved the film. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> I do love, in Steve's efforts to be politically correct, he still manages to be quite devastatingly politically <laughs> He does When indeed. in doubt, open fire on your own feet with both barrels, with a style. <laughs> Yeah, okay. I think it's time to move on. Um, so if we're going to the, the cinema this week, as i.e. the week that the podcast is out, what can we go and see, Steve? Well, hopefully I can go and see these films, because I'd like to see both of them if they're actually going to play at my local cinema. Um, but we've got Free Fire, which is the new film from Ben Wheatley, who made, among other things, Kill List 
and also most recently High Rise. This looks uh, like and, it looks like good fun. Uh, yeah, it looks very funny in the trailers. Basically, a, a group of two of a series of gangs, I think, meet up in a warehouse um, to do an arms deal, and it all goes horribly wrong. They end up having a massive film long gunfight in this uh in this warehouse and it certainly looks like it's going to be entertaining and funny and action-packed in the trailer and, and i'm quite looking forward to this and i do like ben wheatley's work so uh, it's got a great cast too um with brie larson and uh, chateau copley and people like that in it so uh yeah interested in that one yeah that opens it, on Friday. it looks uh it looks a lot like um it takes a lot of its death sequences from the sort of john wick school of gun porn yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Sort of combine John Wick with that. Reservoir Dogs. I think you'd have Free Fire. <laughs> yeah, with with some comedy, really dark comedy, added on top of that. It looks promising from the trailer. I'll I'll be going to see that one. Yeah, that's, and, and, um, I'm, that's and I'm going, I'm definitely going to see the next one, even though I've had I've had no interest in this series whatsoever. Um, but the the lead actress and and the suit that she wears uh, will be there. <laughs> you mean Charlotte, Scarlett Johansson running around in what basically was like a, a naked outfit? Exactly. Uh, yeah, Ghost <laughs> in the Shell. <laughs> now I've never seen any. I mean, Mark, Mark, are you familiar with Ghost in the Shell, the original anime? Uh, yes, I've seen uh, it too. Okay, um, I've not, I've not, I'm not familiar with either. My wife actually worked with the anime company in Tokyo on Ghost in the Shell, um, doing because she did book um, um, publishing and um, branding for them. So she actually wants to see this <laughs> for that reason. Uh, and I want to see it for the reason that um, uh, Phil just mentioned. Uh, <laughs> plus, also, <laughs> plus also, it looks like it'll be pure eye candy. Um, so I will be at Ghost in the Shell. Uh, it's, it's based on the anime, as I say. I'm not familiar with it personally, uh, but it certainly looks impressive in the trailers. It was obviously shot in Hong Kong, but it's a highly stylized version of Hong Kong. Did, did, um, you, uh, did you, uh, you still live there, Steve? Yes, I did. <laughs> the reason why I want to see it not the main reason like you i know nothing about ghost in the shell so maybe quickly mark can just quickly fill us in without any spoilers or whatever what is the world about what what, what is the premise of this it, it's kind of your uh typical um almost kind of uh, i guess it, it plums many of the same kind of things like your kind of robocops and that kind of thing which is at what point does the kind of human end and the machine begin and those kind of things and it's kind of uh tracking down I was going to say near duels, but criminals and, and that kind of thing. And it's, it's, it's got a little kind of a, yeah, it's got quite a, a nice plot going on in the background, but it, it's generally trying to push the kind of cerebral angle of, you know, what makes her, her and, you know, the kind of deus ex machina, you know, what is the ghost in the shell, so to speak? Um, no spoilers there. That's very, very vague. Um, but it, it was just, it was very much a, a kind of, visual spectacle um as an anime um it was it has uh, one sequence in particular towards the end of the film which in terms of animation um it's 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 a beautiful beautiful sequence and um, i i would hope that if they go anywhere near that in the live action film they 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 do so with a, a degree of deference and, and and paying close attention to what made it really really just gobsmackingly beautiful yeah, and it gets around the, the the kind of nudity aspect. I think people expect it to be kind of titillation, even even in anime style. But it, it was, it, I think it was anything but. You know, they they kind of work around that very well. It, it kind of makes sense in the universe, and um, 
yeah, I think if they handle it well, which I assume they will do, you know, it's not going to have any kind of graphic nudity with a major actress in it. But it's it's still it just it makes sense in the universe. I wonder what the name of the suit is that she wears. Is it a birthday suit? No. <laughs> there was some controversy around the casting of Scarlett Johansson because obviously she's white. But having said that, if you actually watch any anime, um, you know, they never draw the characters to look Asian. They always have these big eyes and look very Western in terms of their looks. So I don't think, I think even the creator said he, he wasn't bothered by her casting. Very much a kind of grey area. They, they almost yeah. kind of exist in their own kind of world. They're not usually kind of shown, unless it's got a historical aspect to it, it's not usually shown as being specifically of, you know, clearly one race or another. Yeah, exactly. Um, and also she's a big marquee name that will get the punters in for obvious reasons. Uh, so, <laughs> well, me, me and you are going. <laughs> yeah, at least two of us anyway. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to both of those films. And it, let's fingers crossed they're actually playing at my cinema. I think, um, I think you need to change your cinema if, if that's the I, case. Actually, you know what? I'm seriously thinking about ditching Cineworld and using getting one of the uh, uh, Odeon cards you've got and going to the Odeon in Bath instead. Uh, actually, I, I, this might be this week might be the last straw for me. I've had enough. I think uh, I will yeah. do exactly that. Yeah. Okay. So let's Have you move seen on. the new Baywatch trailer, Steve? Yeah, it looks brilliant. <laughs> Can't wait for that. <laughs> it's really, really good. <laughs> uh, um, it does seem to deliver on many levels, you know. So um, and I think the one thing going for it is that its tongue is very, 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 very coming out the other side of the cheek. <laughs> the shot of it is like, I mean, the bit when they've got. Um, uh, Zach Efron in drag, <laughs> very funny. And uh, a bit when he goes like, "Why don't we just call the police?" It's <laughs> not what we do here at Baywatch. I thought we'd just save people from drowning. No, uh, that looks like it's going to be great fun, and I'm well up for that. Well up for it. Yeah, good stuff. Right. So for those of us that don't like going outside and, and mixing with other people, what could we buy in Blu-ray this week? Oh well, we're going to go through a few films here, but I think we're going to be leading in quite quickly to Mr. Botwright. Let's start with stuff, um, Fantastic Beasts, and where to find them. This is out on DVD, Blu-ray, and Ultra HD Blu-ray. Uh, I believe it was a 4K DI, so that's good news. Dolby Atmos soundtrack. Um, I enjoyed the film when I saw it at the cinema. I'm sure it'd be pure eye candy and uh, a great disc to get, so thoroughly recommended there. We've got Bleed for This, which is the story of a boxer, true story of a boxer who had a terrible car crash, broke his neck. Is this uh, uh, then, is this the guy that he, read, read, our, he, read yeah. our cinema well, review and then, <laughs> and then give us... Oh, he yeah. read our cinema review... <laughs> And then tweeted about it, which is a bit scary because obviously he's quite hard. And uh, I, I, I worryingly, having just proofed the Blu-ray review, Kaz takes a similar tack as, as Kamari did about the fact it's a familiar story. And I know what they mean. Obviously, this guy, don't get me wrong, massive respect for this guy. He broke his neck. He was told he'd probably never walk again, never mind fight. And he not only did he walk again, but he got his title back. Now, I've got to say, all right, let's get... That is that that deserves enormous respect. That is that takes balls the size of church bells. But the the story of a boxer or you know falling from grace for some reason, be it an accident or whatever, and then coming back is a familiar story. I mean, whether that's not his fault, that's just the fact that that's been the story since Rocky. So I understand what they're saying in the sense that, that that's a familiar kind of trope for boxing movies. But don't take away from the fact that this guy, you know, this guy. Got his title back after breaking his neck. So yeah, fair enough. That 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 is impressive. Um, but yes, he did tweet that. You know, we, I think the, the review said something like, like you know, it's, it's the familiar story of so and so. And he said, well, who else has done it but me? 
fair point, did he? I'm not, yeah, I'm not yeah, taking away from you. Fair, fair point. And yeah, like we said, the big, big up the guy. It's, it's uh, I, I just don't, I just, don't hit us. <laughs> yeah, don't hit us, please. Hit. Or if you're going to hit anybody, hit Steve. Yeah, so that's coming out. Apparently, it's a very good uh, Blu-ray in terms of picture quality and sound. So. Um, worth checking out if you're into boxing movies i do actually think it is an interesting story and i wouldn't mind seeing it myself moving on to and i'm going to pass the baton straight over to mr bot right here we have the criterion sixtieth collection of lone wolf and cub or as it's otherwise known shogun assassin is it six disc yes a six disc six film set i thought it was three disc oh sorry three disc six yeah film set, so three films three discs but that that's better than we've had before because uh, Anime I Go released, uh, we first had to have Shogun Assassin, and then they released um, Shogun Assassin 5-film Blu-ray collection, which was just the reworking um, of the first two films, obviously, as uh, Shogun Assassin, and then they, they basically dubbed over when that became a big kind of hit on the video nasty scene uh, and tried to turn the rest of the films just with a dub into other Shogun Assassin films. Then we got the Lone Wolf and Cub uh, two-disc set from Anime I Go, and now we're finally getting what seems to be, uh, what will be, I'm sure, the definitive collection. Um, this has already been out in the States, but it's it's pretty big news, the fact that Criterion are releasing these on UK Blu-ray. Um, and yeah, I'm massively, massively looking forward to it, because it's 2K restoration, uh, uncompressed mono track, um, and also it's coming with and in quotes high def presentation of shogun assassin so you know hopefully it will be also the best version of shogun assassin along Can you with just explain the... what the lone, lone wolf and cub how that relates to shogun assassin what, what, all right what, uh, yes uh well basically uh 70s uh manga by kazooie koike and gosuke kojima was um adapted into a series of films based around this kind of wandering uh, Ronin slash assassin, which became the Lone Wolf and Cub um, films. He's got now, his kid, isn't he, in a little, in a little baby cart? Yes, exactly. Yeah. He, he takes his son along with him, and he's kind of seeking vengeance in the background, but it's more kind of about the series of uh, kind of assassinations that he has to take on. Um, now, a chap got uh, an, an American uh, kind of pair director, producer... Um, picked up the rights to the first two films and then uh, Robert Houston, director, cut them together and added a dub over them, kind of completely um, erasing the original plot, pretty much. Um, Very hammy dub. Um, They had access to a Moog synthesizer as well, so they gave it a very uh, interesting soundtrack and it became something of a cult classic. It's, yeah, I, I've seen Shogun Assassin. I saw it on VHS years ago when I was a kid. It, it makes no sense. It has no great <laughs> conclusion to it. Um, they just take, you know, the, the two first films as directed by Kenji Masumi had probably the best action set pieces. And I think they, they bought the rights for something like $50,000 or something. And then it, it, it ended up on Roger Corman's uh, grindhouse circuit and that kind of thing. But it, it, yeah, it gained a cult following because it's it's just kind of, got some of the best sword fights you will see in kind of any kind of Chanbara film. Um, and so therefore, you know, purists have wanted to see the originals and they, they, I think we had to wait until pretty much kind of VHS to get them um, many moons ago. But yeah, this seems like it's going to give some headroom to, to the material. You'll have the six films then 
uh, well, seven if you include uh, Shogun Assassin on three discs, which should be good enough. It's it's not overly swelled out with lots of kind of lossless tracks there. Um, but yeah, it seems like they're getting lots of interviews, um, and it also says new English subtitle translations. So I'll be very interested to see how that differs from uh, previous versions. But it, it's it's a good time to check it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it's it's Japanese. <laughs> yeah. It's a it's a good time actually. Uh, you know, towards the end of uh, a home format, if if you're interested in, should we say, more niche films, that tends to be the moment when you know they start getting released. And the next couple of months, if you're into particularly Asian films, there are a couple of there are a few really really good releases coming out. Some very interesting ones as well. Do you want me to tell you what I've got on pre-order? Yeah, go, go on. on then. <laughs> All right, fine. Okay, right. Um, Arrow are releasing Doberman Cop and Wolf Guy. <laughs> Um, the Sunny Chiba films and Wolf Guy, I believe, hasn't even had a, a, a home release on any format. So that sounds like a kind of strange um, monster movie slash. Does Wolf Guy movie. involve werewolves? Yeah, I, I think it does. And it's Sunny it's Chiba. Kind of, yes, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, so you've you've got a bit of kind of um, bit of monster movie, bit of. Um, cop i think there's a serial killer in the background that he's tracking um you know obviously sunny chiba is going to kind of kick a few people's asses and then uh yeah so that and doberman cop from um arrow and also drunken master eureka the masters of uh, cinema collection that's coming out as well i think that's early april so you know next couple of months seem very very good good stuff always interests me um these these little titles coming out now and again films that it takes a long long time for them to come onto blu-ray but it looks like these companies special especially like so eureka and arrow and people like that that they're actually taking the hours and hours and hours and hours that's required to remaster these things and and encode them properly and put them out on formats like blu-ray looking the best that they're ever going to look yeah i'm always uh staggered at the care and attention that goes in. I mean, like I said many times before, there's never been a better time to be a film fan when you consider you can get these small esoteric movies, uh, you know, rest- restorations in the correct aspect ratio with original soundtracks, commentary tracks, extras, deleted scenes. I mean, when I think back to the days when I used to buy VHS tapes in four to three pan and scan of crappy, crappy prints with nothing extra, uh, you know, I can't imagine a better time than right now. And, and given that we're moving into this streaming world now where everything's going to be streamed eventually, you know, if you're a film fan, buy this stuff while you can because it won't be around forever. Yeah, and I, I would say definitely if for these smaller releases, if you're interested, um, grab them early because I, I slept on the Criterion Zatoichi collection as well as um, the Yakuza papers as well. And they've just absolutely skyrocketed in price. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, uh, in that I can sympathise. It does sound some of these things. It sounds uncomfortably like um, album reissues on uh, on on vinyl. It's like you bl- blink and you miss it. I mean that um, pink Fight Club that I bought and did the ceremonial unpeeling. Those are now start uh, unopened ones. I stress mine has has been corrupted because I've opened it. But unopened ones of those are now fetching big bucks. Uh, because there aren't any more of them, so it's it, it, as two Ed, one to open and one to keep as a collector's item. Yeah, I, I've, I've, we've had this conversation. I don't regard myself as a collector. I don't want to go down that particular rabbit hole. I have enough flaws already, but it's interesting. I do agree with you, Steve, that the, this is a great time for in both music and film for for fans of high quality physical media. But at the same time, there is this weird 
you know ultimately unless you happen to be minted you're gonna have to pri end up it doesn't really matter what your poison is you're gonna end up prioritizing which one of them you want the most and hoping that some of the others might still be there as and when your finances are able to to, to cope with another couple of purchases or you just wait a few years ed until the uh, the hipster lot disappear from the vinyl scene and then prices all recalibrate then this is true um and we'll see what happens. Oh, I mean, it's interesting that uh, uh, one of the uh, one of the, the uh, people who, for whom I've done some work that they have uh, re recently both delighted and upset the vinyl fraternity because they are doing a repressing of the second Gorillas album, Demon Days, which has been comfortably original pressings of that have been comfortably commanding sort of hundred and sixty quid plus prices. Um, and obviously the influx of a couple of thousand um, very high quality repressings is going to mess about with that. But for, for those of us that missed out on it the first time around, it's, it, it's great news. But um, this, is, this is a balance. This is why I don't regard myself as a collector. It's all about media that you want to enjoy. And at least uh, with, with, with Mr. Botwright, there is a sense that none of these things are going to just sort of sit there saying, I own that. He will get, you know, get down and, and, and enjoy some drunken master action. Well, yes. I, I think on that bombshell and the fact that it's getting close to lunchtime and I'm I'm really looking forward to my haggis sandwich with my curly wally and a can of iron brew. Every Scottish cliche ticked. You're going to deep fry that sandwich. <laughs> and it's going to take fast. all of them and deep fry it. Yeah. Well, no, actually, I'm heading I'm heading out to the deal uh, the detailers because he's uh, he's he's got my refund for me from Ford for the bad paintwork, and he's going to wash my car properly as well. So there you go. Exciting afternoon. I, I haven't I haven't washed mine yet. <laughs> Ed, your car will never be washed until you need to hand it back. Correct. I now own a brown Fiesta ST. It's great. <laughs> it's brown. It should be white with the salt, should it not? No, no, no. We don't, we're not salting down here because remember we're, we're well south of the Arctic Circle in Milton Keynes, so uh, it's not not an issue. So we just got road grime. But the Arctic, Arctic Circle must start again at Steve's house because he's always complaining about how cold he is. No, that's because my old. house is really cold and I'm old. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, it's you know, it's in the winter, you know, old people die in these conditions. You know, we'll be we'll be seeing if we can get some extra money out with us soon. to get my flu jab every year. Now. Huddled in, huddled in front of his one bar electric fire, whilst a sad violin piece plays in the background. My fuel winter allowance. Well, no, you you get enough TVs and well, you see that's the thing. Plasma's away now because plasma was yeah, always a good good way to heat, heat the room. Yeah. Yeah. You'll just I've have to get loads of projectors in, in Steve. Yeah, loads, loads of valve amplifiers or something like that. <laughs> I only ever get sent those in the summer. Funnily enough, all the projectors seem to come out in the summer as well. Where, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you can't sit in a dark room. Yeah, yeah. You just think every time you read a projector review during the summer, I'm sitting there in my boxers, and that's it. Thank you. And, 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 and on that actual bombshell, <laughs> sleep well. Uh, yeah, that's it. Thanks very much for listening. I've lost my running order. I don't know who's on the podcast. They're all going to say goodbye. Hey, give me a second. <laughs> I need to read these it's things. Every week. <laughs> uh, that's it for the AV Forums podcast this week. My thanks to Steve Withers. Toughened your nipples, didn't it? Mark Hodgkinson. All good things to those who wait. It's Sally. Memory Agent Starling is what I have instead of a view. And Mark Botwright. Desperately random. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, bookmark AV Forums for latest reviews, news and videos, and of course, leave us those five-star ratings on iTunes, but only if you enjoyed the show. And I'm Phil Hinton. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Yeah.